when we think about John, we're looking at this particular section this afternoon. It's a little bit strange because last week we looked at John's death. Uh, and now we're going back to an event just before his death, uh, an event which is really important because it probably creates the most clear evidence of the turning point that John represents and also has massive implications for us in terms of our understanding of, of how we fit into this uh, story of salvation that's laid out uh, across the pages of the Bible, across millennia. Uh, how do we fit and where do we see ourselves? We see John breaks into onto the scene. He's We've described him as the raging prophet. Uh, I think I would describe that as a controlled rage. He rages against injustice. Uh, he rages against sin. He rages against powers and authorities that are not following uh, the message of, of the God who he proclaims. He, he rages against unrighteousness and he calls people to repentance and we see that during his life uh, and while he was um, proclaiming in the in the wilderness many people came they responded uh, and they were baptized it seems to me as though john is preparing even in that act even in that moment he's preparing for what is going to come in the message of jesus Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 in that really uh, famous sermon described as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says this, blessed are the meek or the humble for they will inherit the earth. It's as though John is representing this is how it's going to be, this great figure, this strong figure. But the actual account that we're looking at today uh, and the reason that I want us to look at it is because we see John doubting. We see this man who is so assured. We see him move from that place of uh, confidence and security to a place of doubt and questioning. And, and his question, his doubt is around the idea identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus is performing many great works and John raises questions. There's so many storylines uh, about false identity or mistaken identity. I was just having a look at, at the recommendations on movies and it's a movie that I've never seen, The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin, it's supposed to be one of the great satirical uh, films of all time where Charlie Chaplin, and you can see the irony and the satire in this, plays the, the role of a, a Jewish barber who is mistaken for the uh, ruthless dictator Hinkle, who is modeled on, on Hitler. Wrong identity, wrong identity of key people is a critically important thing for us to see, for us to understand, for us to ask the question through John today, who is the identity of this Jesus? John hears about what is going on. He hears the work that Jesus has been doing. Uh, and we can see in verse 20, 
that having sent some of his disciples to Jesus, they reveal the question that John is asking. They said to Jesus, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is come? Or should we expect someone else? Wow, that, that's, that's incredible. I think one of the, the beautiful things about the Bible is it seems that every, pretty much every major character in the Bible is identified with the, with the exception of Jesus, is identified in both their strengths and their real human weaknesses in their vulnerabilities. This is the very John who, while he was baptizing, pointed to Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now John is sending his disciples and he's saying, are you the one who has come? Or should we expect someone else? John at this time is in prison. So he sends his disciples from while he is in prison. I think that gives us another, another angle to look at this question that John asks. Why is he doubting? Because I think we can inhabit John's location so easily. Maybe John is doubting because of the incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances he finds himself in at this moment in time. I think that's potentially one foundation for the doubt, the doubting of John. And so relevant to us, how often do we feel a sense of doubt, a sense of concern, a sense of question? Can we be sure? Because the circumstances that I find myself in now cause me to doubt. I love that the Bible describes people who are doubting and re then reflects on how Jesus, the Spirit of God, the power of God, deals with those who are doubting. Is he doubting because of the difficult circumstances that he finds himself in right at this moment in time? I know that so many, particularly over this past year, are able to say that the circumstances that I find myself in right now are amongst the worst circumstances that I've ever experienced in life. John in this moment speaks into your situation. The other possibility and, and equally as valid is the, the way in which John and the, the environment or the context in which John sends his disciples. He has been the, the prophet who has been proclaiming justice, proclaiming judgment. And yet what we see is when he sends his disciples, it seems as though the foundation might, of his doubt might equally be because Jesus, the judge that he is expecting, doesn't look anything like the judge that he expected. How many of us equally can say the same? How many of us equally can say that God doesn't seem to act 
God doesn't seem to respond, think in ways that I think God should act, think or respond. Either of those two are so, so possible in our own human experience. I don't know where everybody is uh, this afternoon as you listen, or perhaps as you're listening later on the recording. It might be that you are considering the claim of Jesus on your life. And, and there are doubts in your experience. As you're thinking, as you're considering this step of faith, and you're thinking, I, I can't take that step of faith because I have these doubts. Let me encourage you. The life of walking alongside following Jesus as a disciple of Jesus Christ continues to be a life which has times of doubt. It seems as though we, we simply have to decide which side of, our, of that fence of experience we're going to doubt. Am I going to doubt from the point of being questioning, sceptical, or am I actually going to doubt from a place of faith? Equally, you might have been a believer in Jesus for decades. And the same is the case for you, perhaps, experiencing doubt. You've probably been through it on many occasions. And, and in those experiences, confronting, seeing, understanding in the lives of key figures in the Bible, how, how God cared for them in their doubts is so important for us, for us to inhabit this place and to understand how we might move forward in this experience. How can we understand how to move in the light of these doubts? The first thing in confronting that doubt is, and responding to that doubt, is to understand how Jesus created a foundation for John again to have confidence, for John to be assured. How did Jesus speak to him? How did he, how did he answer that question of, are you the one or is there someone still to come? Look at what it says in verse 21 and 22. And this is the reason why it's possible that John was doubting because of the very things that Jesus was doing. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. That's the context. That doesn't sound or look like a judge who is coming in judgment, does it? So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That sounds a really strange answer from Jesus if he's looking to answer the doubts of John on face value. John asks, are you the one? Perhaps because Jesus is healing diseases, sickness, evil spirits are being banished, the blind uh, are made to see. Precisely because he doesn't 
look like a judge. He asks the question and Jesus on face value reinforces, tell him what you've seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leprosy is cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. How is that answering the question until you understand where John sits in the story of salvation through Jesus? And understand how Jesus is identifying himself in those very words. Let me read you a few verses from Isaiah. Going to read firstly from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 18 and 19. In that day, the day when the promised Messiah comes, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness the, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Chapter 61 and verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. See what Jesus is doing. He's saying, let me answer your question, John. I'm not going to crush you. I'm going to answer your question and the foundation of the confidence that you can have in me as the one who is promised is precisely what I am doing was promised by Isaiah. The, the healing of the blind. The hope for the poor, the broken, the humble. Sight, understanding healing up of the brokenhearted. Precisely what you know as a prophet, John, precisely what is the stream of the promise that God has been communicating to his people, I am the one who has been promised. Let me tell you even more, John, you are the one who has been promised. We see that John, Jesus responds to John, uh, in verse 27, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. If, if Jesus has been promised in Isaiah, then John has been promised in Malachi, which is where that very reading is from. John, you know that you are the one who has been promised by the earlier prophets. You know that you are the one who has broken in with a call to righteousness. And therefore, you can be confident that I am equally the one who has been promised. How does that apply to us? How do we know that we can be confident in Jesus? How can we have that confidence in Jesus? We can have that confidence in Jesus because as we see the story of salvation unfold in the pages of the Bible, in the promises that are made, in the way that God deals for thousands or so of years with his people, that Jesus fulfills everything that was promised about him. He is not a shock. 
he is not a surprise. His pattern of behavior is precisely how God had promised he would behave. He is the one who we can trust because he is the one who fulfills his promises. There's a moment after the baptism of Jesus where Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is tempted under extreme temptation. He's pushed, he's pressed. Do you know how he responds to that temptation, which I find amazing? He doesn't respond to that temptation, in, it seems, in the authority of himself. He responds to that temptation by quoting back at that temptation verses from the Old Testament. These are the promises of God, is what Jesus says. These are the promises of God, and I'm going to trust in those promises as you tempt me. We're in dark times. We might feel as though our circumstances are so unbearable, we might wonder whether we can trust this Jesus. We might see events unfolding and we think God cannot possibly work like this. And yet the promised Jesus is still the same one who we can trust. So we see that we can be convinced of his identity. But the second thing I want to just point to as we look through this, this text is we can also be confident in our value. If Jesus is the one who ushers in this kingdom of God, if he was the one who brings this kingdom, then he in these verses has something to say about us in his kingdom. The first thing we have to see is this. John, Jesus says in verse 28, is the greatest of prophets. Verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. What an incredible statement. The greatest human being in the history of the world, up to that point, according to Jesus, is John the Baptist. That's, that's what Jesus says. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Why? Why is John the greatest? Because key to the greatness is being able to proclaim the message of God. And John was the one who is able, he is the prophet declaring the message of God unique among all the prophets. He is the one who is able to say physically, to point his finger and to say, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of the other prophets, every other being, every other person who spoke of Jesus in all of the storyline of the Bible up to this moment in time have been speaking from a distance. They haven't had the astounding privilege of being able to say, that is the Lamb of God. He is the greatest. 
how incredible for John, this, this raging prophet who's out in the wilderness wearing strange clothing, on eating a strange diet, who is now in prison, who's confronting kings, who looks in human terms bedraggled and poor. He's the greatest. Amazing. But Jesus goes on to say something which affects you and me. John is the greatest born of women. Yet, the back end of verse 28, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. They are some of the most breathtaking words, I think, in the whole of the Bible. We look through the pages of the storyline of the Bible and we see, we see moments of spiritual heroes, giants. John the Baptist being, to this point, as Jesus says, the greatest of giants, the greatest of proclaimers. And then Jesus says, the least in my kingdom is greater than he. Sometime after this particular conversation that went on with John's disciples and Jesus, John, as we saw last week, is beheaded. How is it that the least in the kingdom is greater than him? If you're a believer in Jesus, this evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is, whenever you're listening to this, if you are a believer in Jesus and you feel as if you are just clinging on by fingertips, you feel as though you are the most unworthy. If I feel as though I am the most pathetic of believers in Jesus, I could sit into that phrase and say, I'm the least in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you are greater than John the Baptist. Why? Why is it? Why is it that Jesus would say that of us? Because we can point to the lamb in a different way than John could ever point to the lamb. John pointed in anticipation, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet we are able to point and say, look, we now know what Lamb of God meant. We now understand what Lamb of God meant. We can point to the narrative of that Jesus nailed to a cross, dying as a sacrifice and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We can say that in a way that John was never able to say. Do you see what greatness means? Greatness is, is understanding Jesus. It's all about him. He makes for us to be greater. He makes for us to see. He raises us up. His greatness doesn't crush us, it elevates us, it lifts us so that 
in being able to say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as he bleeds and dies on a cross. And yet we can go one step further. John, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, he says this, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. No lambs that have been slain stand up. Nothing that has been slain is ever able to stand. And yet John brings our thinking into another incredibly important moment where we understand even more than the lamb that was slain on the cross. We understand the lamb that was slain who rose again to life and returned to be king of heaven and earth. John could never describe that. And yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is able to describe that, is able to know that, is able to embrace that, is able to say, and in that is my hope. Jesus goes on as he responds to the people to this the question from John's disciples and he he tells a little story from verse 31 he says when i look at this generation what then can i compare with this the people of this generation what are you like they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other we played a pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not cry. What is this about? As we close this series on John the Baptist, I would want to close with these. This verse, actually, verse 32, and pray that we might be able to learn to cry and to learn to dance. Because those two ideas just capture the contrast of John the Baptist and Jesus. One, he's the one who sings a dirge. He's the one who proclaims judgment. He's the one who mourns over the horror of injustice. And the people did not cry, the religious elite did not cry at that demand. They did not cry at that dirge. No, they were like obstinate, stubborn children who when the dirge was sung, they did not cry. And then Jesus turns up and Jesus plays a pipe of joy and hope and redemption and glory and grace grace people who do not deserve the riches of god's inheritance are offered the riches of god's inheritance jesus plays a pipe and yet they didn't dance my prayer is that as we close this we will learn to cry at the dirge of the voice 
of justice which says that we are guilty. But I pray that we'll also learn to dance to the song of the pipe of the joy of grace in Jesus. That scandal that those who do not deserve are shown grace. He's been quite a character, John the Baptist, hasn't he? He's, he's blown me away a little bit. Yeah, I, I love him. Uh, and kind of a bit fearful as well of him uh, in a good Explain way. That. Well, he, he just confronts, doesn't he? He, he oh, confronts with the reality of, puts his finger on real issues and, and some of those issues are really close to home at times, aren't they? I, I feel like if John the Baptist had a, a this is not irreverent. I hope it's not irreverent. If he had a Twitter feed nowadays, he, <laughs> <laughs> he would completely divide opinion. Yeah. Be very popular on Twitter, wouldn't he? Absolutely. I think that's what he does. He does divide. But then Jesus divides as well. That's true. You know, I think, um, yeah, it's really powerful. I think he's also so easily missed. He, he's I confess such a, to have missed him. Yeah, he's such a huge part of the, the the unfolding of salvation mm-hmm. is so critical and yet i suppose the i suppose it's the it's the it's the christmas connection isn't it we we want the nice stuff um but john just becomes really uncomfortable but as we said right at the beginning of the service of, of the series it's it's actually confronting the grim which makes the value of Jesus shine even more. Mm-hmm. There does seem to be, and you you t- touched on that a little bit today. There seems to be such a wrestle, doesn't there, between this idea of of justice that mm. John brings and mm. then the grace that Jesus mm. brings. Mm. And mm. you talked about doubts um, mm. as well today. I think. In the past, for me, certainly, and I, w- I wonder if, if for others, that's been the source of doubting um, mm. for them. That tension between justice and grace. Yeah. Can it yeah. be, can Jesus represent both well? Mm. Uh, yeah. Do you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, definitely. I think John, John again, John only saw part of it, didn't he? And we that's only true. see part of it. I think the point of Jesus coming first with that grace-filled saviour um, embodiment, we can't, we cannot separate that without understanding that he also comes as the judge. You know, the lamb who is standing at the throne that John describes is the lamb who will return in judgment. So, so in a way, the judge, the, the Jesus that John expected is not completely subverted and never to be seen. The Jesus that John expected is the Jesus who will be seen. Mm-hmm. It's just that he didn't perhaps expect a saviour Jesus. And yet we see in Isaiah and various other readings, we see that that's what's promised. Just maybe didn't quite look like what was expected. So it's that understanding that the first and the second comings of Jesus are 
they're not they're almost not separate events in a strange way that they are they are one event in a way um in the sense that the second coming of jesus is just as assured just as secure as the first coming of jesus and we've completely separated that haven't we well I, mm. in my mind you know i'm guilty of completely separating those two things yeah. and looking forward to christmas and understanding um that you know god comes to dwell with us mm. and being thankful for his grace in my mm. life that allows that mm. that to happen yes but without fully um it's funny it feels like it's sometimes easier to live in light of his grace than it is in light of his judgment or his coming judgment does that yeah you know yeah, what i mean totally. Well, it's, I guess it, yeah, absolutely, because we don't, what we haven't seen, we don't see as real. So we talk very confidently about Jesus being the saviour, but the saviour from what? He, he is our saviour from his own judgment. <laughs> and and that's, that's the incredible moment where we realise that He's, he saves us from the judgment that he will bring mm -hmm. by being the, the bearer of judgment. And for me, it is the most remarkable, it's the most incredible concept, which is beyond human experience and understanding that, in fact, the storylines that talk about it, I think, are all, all look back to the story of Jesus. Um, is that there is that tension between justice and and grace. It is a scandal. And yet it is Jesus who in a moment embodies both. He embodies he embodies both as he dies on a cross because he becomes the grace proclaiming sin bearer and he is also the one who is the wrath and uh, the wrath bearer of God's justice. You know, it's just it's mind blowing, isn't it? When you when you think it through, it's it's funny. I think having studied John the Baptist in the approach to Christmas, I think it has, and that idea of Advent of the coming King, mm. it has totally changed my perception on. Um, on that idea of come lord jesus come that that he had you know we were talking tonight about the promises of god being fulfilled from old testament to new testament mm. that jesus has actually come he is coming again isn't he like absolutely how often do we forget that but he, absolutely as sure as he came the first time he's coming the second time yeah yeah and and then we go back and we say we can believe that he is because he did it the first time, uh -huh. you know, th there were 400 years of silence from the prophets and then John bursts onto the scene. There is, there is still the debate as to who the Messiah promised in the Old Testament is because Jesus is not acknowledged by many who are of Jewish faith. Uh, and so there is, there is debate and conversation around, well, what did that Messiah mean? And it's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah that was meant back there. So if he did that then, we need to be sure that he will return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. And and that's I think that's such a comfort, isn't it? Um especially in these dark times where yeah. we long for for light bursting through again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Such a comfort. And yeah. yet um a little bit scary. Yes. Yes, it's well, a, 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 a fearful day in one sense, and yet it's a joyful day. Mm -hmm. Paul describes that the whole of creation is groaning, awaiting its fulfillment, awaiting the time when it's restored. I mean, if there is a if there is a verse to sit over the world today, it's that. It's groaning. Totally. Yeah, and and you can see that, and I guess for for those of us that are struggling with doubts and struggling just to to wrestle it all together mm. what what kind of what encouragement can we give them i guess depending on on the promises of god yeah. would be yeah would be one of them i think it was what um, do you think? i think it was martin lloyd jones who used to use i think it was lloyd jones who used to use the description um there's times when we need to preach to ourselves and actually, that means taking what is preaching, it's proclaiming, it's proclaiming the promises of God. And sometimes we need to proclaim those promises of God back to ourselves mm -hmm. uh, and and say that, that, I need to listen to that. I need to hear that. Um, which is why, again, the, the community of the church is so important so that we mm -hmm. can encourage each other in proclaiming hope in Jesus to each other. Mm -hmm. And it, it's there is hope in the small moments, I think, when we preach to ourselves. But there's hope in the big picture as well, isn't there? Yes. yes. Just and I think that's that yes. the fact that both of those happen as we preach to ourselves. Yeah, so, in a moment of despair, you know, as you drive along in your car on the way to work, you know, mm -hmm. as you preach to yourself, actually, by God's grace and His Spirit, He can reveal promises his promises to you but actually yeah. as you do that you sit under the umbrella of this huge story yeah that you become part of and yes. um yeah the hope that jesus is coming again actually is yeah. a big picture hope isn't it yeah. that, that yeah, we're part, both we're provide part of, comfort we're part of the biggest story in the whole of the history of the world in fact we are part of the story of the world the story yeah 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 uh, mm. which Yes, it is incredible. We think of the people who were listening to Jesus that day. Has he explained um, who John was and who he was? And yeah. yet they are written down in scripture. And yet we have had that same privilege today, haven't we? To to be hearers of, of, mm. of, of that and set ourselves yeah. under those promises. Mm. Amazing, yeah. big stuff. Lots to dwell on that we probably don't have time for today. Um, but yes, what a great series, John the Baptist. Yeah. Can we come back to him again, do you think? Yeah, maybe before each Christmas. That wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? There's still, <laughs> I feel like there's still more there. There's loads there. Absolutely loads. Okay, sounds good. I might, I might hold you to that next year then, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, would you please pray for us as we finish will, tonight? Yeah. Thank you. Of course. The least in your kingdom is greater. Father, we thank you for the hope that seeing, comprehending, and finding hope in Jesus brings to us. 
And we pray that as we think about that great hope, we pray that we might hear it in our heads, but embrace it and hold it in our hearts. Mm -hmm. In the darkness of our current experience, may we see the light of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a good week, guys. Hope to see you soon. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye.